0: Lock Talk Radio
1: Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another not horribly exciting night of Rifleman Radio. We're a little tied up right now, scouts under a pile of targets out in the middle of nowhere. Not going to make it on tonight, so this is Sam D, and I'll be playing host for you tonight. I'll try to take calls as quick as I can. I won't be able to screen you ahead of time, so if you want to talk, make sure you press 1, and a little British lady will let me know that you're on the air and want to talk. I want to start off, like always, reminding folks that we need to thank the people that help us put on our shoots. If you have a local crew member that's doing something fantastic for you, please come on the air and let us know who he is, what they're doing, how they're doing it for you. And if you have ways to make it better, we want to know that too. I made tonight's topic a little bit different since we're playing a different game. Tonight's topic is where are we now? We need to have a discussion of where we are today As as shooters in America, how we can improve the nation's situation, how we can get the word to those elected representatives to get the right message through, forcefully, but peacefully. We're all responsible people. We know the horrors that can happen because we know the history. And it has to be deep, deep set in our minds that we don't ever want to have that happen again in America. We don't need a revolution or a revolutionary war. We do need a revolution in thoughts, as Adam said, a change in the hearts and minds and the sentiments of the people that's necessary for us to carry on of people who are attached, cognizant, aware, involved in their community and in their government. And government does start in your community. Right down to when you're sitting talking with your neighbor. Letting him know what you think is right. And he says, yeah, I agree with that. You've just created government between you two. When you get outside the neighborhood, people agree, discuss, and they create government between themselves. Government starts down with you and your neighbor. Works its way all the way up to the federal. Everybody involved, everybody participating, everybody freely giving their ideas, listening with mutual respect, consideration, paying attention to how we can make it all very much better. I have a caller here at 412. I'm going to bring him on the line. Let's see if I got him here. Hello, caller. Are you there? Area code 412, are you there? Hill, I'm pretty sure that's Ed Heller. When the switchboard wakes up and brings him on, we'll get him talking a bit. What's going on in your state legislature right now? Is there some fancy gun control legislation going on? Something else that's crimping into your rights. Something you think might move in on your rights in the near future or in the distant future. And we're talking about those God-given and constitutionally guaranteed rights that we call the first Ten Amendments of the Constitution of the United States. Those are God-given rights. Those are all rights that the founders looked at and saw as pre-existing ones that English citizens had known and lived with all along in their lives. They were never written down because the English never had a written constitution. They were customary rights. The right to self-defense was one that they considered to be very paramount. Is that you there now, Ed Heller? Hello, Ed Heller, are you there? Well, I guess Ed's not talking. That's okay. We'll keep going here. Those God-given constitutionally protected rights, like self-defense, were recognized long, long before our Constitution was written down. They felt it needed to be enumerated because very few of those people could agree on everything they needed to govern themselves. And it came out that no one would agree to sign our new Constitution unless the very first thing we did afterward was to agree on those amendments. There was a lot of talk in the Constitutional Convention of what they should be and what they should include. And those were smart men. They weren't hard. They wanted to put those rights that were long known in writing as a clear reference for all to see and those rights reaffirm all of the things that that we held dear and sacred to ourselves, a right to privacy, a right to be secure in our papers, a right to defend ourselves from whatever. We're all highly interested in the Second Amendment, we consider it crucial to us, we have to remember that When the founders put that in there, there were a lot of things that we needed to defend from. And the thing they had just got done defending from was a bad case of tyranny on the part of a guy named George. George could rule by decree. Parliament could cut off his money. But George could do whatever he wanted, whatever he could afford out of the purse. When he had money, he could get very adventurous If the Parliament supported it, they'd appropriate taxes to cover the cost. If they didn't, he could support it as long as he ran out, until he ran out of money. We have a similar arrangement in our Constitution. However, in our Constitution, everything depends on money because the President has none to appropriate on his own. The people appropriate money through the House of Representatives, And all bills dealing with money have to originate in that House of Representatives. That's how the people control the actions of the executive branch of government. The Senate was to take into consideration the desires and needs of the states. They had to affirm that appropriation of money, but they could not initiate an appropriation. And the president was given broad executive powers, but he was given no power to rule by decree, absolutely none. And should he attempt to do so, he was under the same limit that King George was, the limit of the purse. If the House does not initiate a bill and the Congress as a whole does not appropriate funds, then the executive has no power. So, whenever you consider the things that the executive branch does in their dealings with other states, by states I mean nations, in their dealings with the states that we call states, like Pennsylvania and California and New York, in his dealings with the people, in his administration of justice through the Department of Justice, in his ability to make war. Those are limited by the appropriating power of the Constitution. So the man that really controls the government is the man that has the purse, and that is the House of Representatives of the United States. That should be the first place that we go. The House of Representatives are the people's representatives, and they control the purse. If they appropriate no money, the executive can do nothing. If you dislike what the executive does, you contact the House and advise them that you want control placed on the executive by closing the purse, and the Congress can do that. I see Ed Heller dialed back in. I'm going to try to bring him up again.
2: Hey, Sam. How are you, doing?
1: Fantastic.
2: Glad I finally got through to you. The
1: switchboard didn't want to respond before.
2: Well, you eventually did unmute me, and I talked to myself for almost 10 minutes, worrying that
3: who is the only person on the air.
1: Oh. Well, I never got to hear you, and I'm not sure that we're on the air or not. Uh, If one of those guests would call in and
2: let us know, that would be a good thing. I'm fairly certain that we're on the air. Um, uh, that, That is my guess, at least.
1: Okay, well, I posted the call-in number, and if uh, if we're not somebody, dial in on three four seven three zero eight eight seven nine zero, and let us know if we're not on
2: here. <laughs> yeah, it, it, here, here and I'll I'll give you the reason why I think we are. I think that by the show starting thirty minutes late, I think that everybody thought that we weren't around, and we're only going to catch the late arrivals. So I think that the, the, the type channel is just going to appear dead for the time being. There's uh, nothing we can do about that. Well, we'll
1: have to hope that a few of them come up. And uh, hopefully someone will have some commentary on what I brought up. And and uh, we'll, well call in and share with us.
2: What so for the, last ten, for the last 10 minutes, I haven't heard what you've been talking about. Could you summarize that quickly? Well... I've been talking
1: about the power of the federal government and our God-given rights under the First Ten Amendments. that's executive branch is limited by the Congress's ability to appropriate money to pay for his actions.
2: Well, you know, in a different forum that I'm a part of, a big discussion over this past week is. Uh, been over a, a very simple and basic question, you know. And the question is: By what authority do they have to rule over us? And the the answer always keep, keeps coming back that they only have the authority over us that we grant them. That's true and what authority have we granted the federal government and it's pretty at least in my mind it's pretty obvious that we have not granted them the overarching authority that they are they are grasping for well that's quite true one of the problems
1: that we have is that the uh, the constitution does strictly enumerate the powers uh given to the federal government but over the past 120 years or so, people have allowed them to run rampant by neglect.
2: Well, it, 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 to be honest, it's not entirely neglect. The federal government has stretched to the limits. The notion of the Commerce Clause and you know the general well welfare little bit in the Constitution, which I you know, it, they've stretched them beyond all credibility, but, you know, it, it's uh, there are a number of people out there that I could go and talk, you know, I could go down to my neighborhood corner, I could stop people on the street and I could ask them about the general welfare clause, and they'd go, yeah, the government should provide everything I want and need. <laughs> well, that's one of the problems.
1: As late as the 1880s, we had a a serious natural disaster in Texas that affected a couple hundred thousand people and it was pretty bad and a congressman stood up on the floor and uh, was so bold as to suggest that money be appropriated for the relief of their condition and the Congress resoundingly said no that is not the business of the federal government. And indeed, their neighbors uh, raised more money than the intended appropriation, and those people were well taken care of by the resources of the people individually
2: and not you know, the government. And you know, Sam, I can do one better than, than that. Um, in the late 18th century, there was a fire in Washington, D.C., and a number of row houses were burned down. And the government um, proposed legislation to pay for the houses that were burned down. And there was a certain young congressman from the lower uh, Ohio Valley that decided to vote yes for that and later he went back to his district and there was an old gentleman in um in his in his home that you know he had stopped by to talk to him about reelecting him for congress and the old gentleman said i will not be voting for you and and this young legislator asked but why what what, what have i done wrong and he said we didn't Send you there to spend our money frivolously on things that should be, you know, taken up by the people themselves of the local areas. This young congressman's name was Davy Crockett, and from that day on, he never voted for anything else that would that was spending the our money frivolously.
1: And that's uh,
2: how it ought to be.
1: You know, when we coddle our children, when we give them in their perceived time of need, we create a dependency on them, and we work hard to not do that in many cases. And by coddling to the wants and perceived needs of so many, we have created a dependent class in America. And that dependent class is a lot larger than anyone might care to think people have the idea that that dependent class consists solely of uh, folks who are on so-called welfare one of the 60 or 70 different welfare programs that are available out there but in fact we've created dependency in many ways we've created a dependency on the government for social security Which they have broadened to cover things that were never intended as originally written. We have created dependency in the education by appropriating federal dollars for education, for the construction of highways. For many things, were not legitimately the business of the federal government. While you were talking, I took the liberty of bringing up a copy of our Constitution, Section Eight, to refresh my mind on the the enumerated powers, from it, and they're very limited.
2: Hey, Sam. Yes. If you can re-mute me for a minute or so, my garage door is now closing, and I'm going to make some noise.
1: I will mute you and bring you back momentarily. Okay. In the meantime, we'll look at some of those enumerated powers. The Congress shall have the power to lay and collect taxes, duties, imposts, and excises to pay the debts and provide for the common defense and general welfare of the United States but all duties, imposts and excises shall be uniform throughout the United States that sounds pretty straightforward collect taxes to pay the bills of the country provide for the common defense and general welfare of the United States that's the nation It doesn't say of the people. It says of the United States. And it says that all duties, imposts, and excises shall be uniform throughout the United States. That we won't have an import tax between Pennsylvania and Ohio or Michigan and Indiana. It says they can borrow money on the credit of the United States. And we borrowed very heavily on that credit when we first started as a nation. We put ourselves in dire straits. We printed paper money and borrowed gold to back it. And it hurt us for a long time until we caught up with that national debt and paid it off. It says they have the power to regulate commerce with foreign nations and among the several states and with the Indian tribes. The power to regulate commerce. When the Congress passes a statute, they're required to point out where in the Constitution the justification for that comes. In many of our current statutes, their justification from this portion of Article I, Section 8, to regulate commerce with foreign nations and among the several states and with the Indian tribes Back during the Franklin Roosevelt administration, a particular case that is used as justification for many of these statutes arose. It was entitled Wickard versus Filburn. And in that case, the federal government decided that wheat grown on a man's farm that never left that farm was interstate commerce. He was allowed to grow X acres of wheat and put it into commerce which he did he grew more wheat which he kept for himself he fed mostly to his pigs the government decided that if he hadn't grown that wheat he might have bought some wheat or some corn from someone else out of state which would have kept the economy going better than growing his own hog food so a wheat that never left his farm became interstate commerce. Now, they get the idea that folks like us don't know how to read. If the wheat never left the farm and never got interstate, and somebody in a court had to go a long way out of his way, to come up with an opinion like the Supreme Court did in Wickard versus Filburn. I invite all of you to Google it up or Alta Vista it up or however you search things on the net and read that case and try to explain to me how wheat that never left the farm got to be interstate. Yes, you
2: know, Sam. Um, that, that, that is a question that has perturbed me for years. Um, it's uh it's it's quite amazing that you know the Supreme Court could decide such a case as thus uh you know it, it's one of the problems with our our current system of government is that the Supreme Court is the final and only arbiter of all things constitutional there is no one there's no one that can come along and say to them that your decision was wrong. Um, I, I consider that a fundamental flaw of our current system. And, you know, it, it's it's one where, you know, it doesn't matter how often we replace our representatives. If the Supreme Court decides that certain things are constitutional, they just are so. And we have no, we the people have no recourse against them, against that particular decision. So I wish I had a simple and easy solution for you right there, but I don't. You brought that up because we
1: do have a recourse. There is a final arbiter above the Supreme Court of the United States. Go ahead. I'm listening. In January of 1920, right after the First World War, the state legislatures decided that alcoholic beverages were not fit for consumption in the United States and they passed something called the 18th Amendment to the United States Constitution which prohibited uh, intoxicating agents alcohol and it created quite a problem much like the drug problem that we have now because people weren't going to quit drinking (laughs) Excuse me, people weren't going to quit drinking. And the people told the Supreme Court in a very easy, long term way that that was not a good amendment for the Constitution and needed to be gone. The prohibition finally notified, I guess I would say yes, we did pass an amendment repealing the 18th Amendment. What brought it all about was a series of court decisions happening in cities and counties throughout America where citizens decided that, gee, I won't have a drink and I don't think that's the business of the federal government. And when people were arrested for violating that, in the accompanying Volstead Act, the police began to find the perpetrators not guilty using what was well known then, their ability to not only judge the guilt or innocence of the individual, but of the law. And through the power of the jury, they ceased to prosecute those people, and it reached a point where they just gave it up. At that point, being in the depth of depression and not enough money to enforce it, the states changed their mind and repealed the 18th Amendment because people wouldn't tolerate it. They ignored it. I would not be so bold as to say that we should ignore laws, but the people do have a bit of power in that regard.
2: Well, you you bring
1: up a great point. and I'm not
2: sure if you can hear me right now. Can you hear me? Oh, yes, I can hear you very well. Okay. Um, And, you know, today there is uh, something called the Fully Informed Jury Association that advocates actually uh, nullification of laws via exactly what you were just talking about. Uh, I will admit that, you know, If you look at the 18th Amendment and you look at its repeal in the 21st Amendment, it took a large number of years for us to convince the federal government that they were wrong. And the states, you know, well, convince the states that they were wrong and their prohibition of alcohol. Uh, But if you look since that period of time, it would seem that the federal government has, has forgot or decided to ignore that the way that you amend the rules by which we live are you know denoted by amendments to the Constitution um, you know the uh, prohibition of drugs they didn't bother to pass an amendment that said you couldn't have these drugs they just passed the federal law and said mm, yeah it's legal and then proceeded to Enforce it, and uh, and it's it's fairly easy to uh, ascertain that the enforcement of said laws are un- unconstitutional. But no one, since they not gain standing, to challenge those laws, has been able to successfully challenge that in court. Well, that's true. Uh,
1: you know, Mark is listening in right now. Let me bring him on the air and uh see what he thinks about that.
3: Gotcha. Mark minutes ago, I don't even know what you're talking about there yet.
1: Well, we're talking about the power of the federal government, the enumerated in the constitution and how possibly through neglect on the part of the citizenry to hold them accountable. They seem to have overreached
3: things. Well, yeah, I think I think there's a lot of that stuff like what they're talking about right now. A lot of that stuff, states' rights, ain't it? Ain't it kind of up to the states if they want firearms or, you know, can the government just drop the hammer and say, no, you ain't having none?
1: In, in a lot of
3: ways, those are the
1: states' rights. Uh, that year, uh, McDonald versus Chicago. Uh, that kind of took them out of the venue of states' rights. They uh, have included the 14th Amendment as being restrictive on the states, uh, the Second Amendment being restrictive on the states also, under the 14th Amendment, which is kind of interesting, taking away a state's right, but gathering more power to the people in doing so. And seems contradictory.
0: Well,
3: you brought up Chicago and, and McDonald. What was the case in Washington, D.C., and that that security guard? All right, right before Mr. that. You know, no. that old boy won his case, but those people never got their gun rights, right? Well, theoretically,
1: they have. Uh, they have made local regulations so burdensome that most people consider it's not worth their while. And that seems to be the, the, the overriding Second Amendment issue right now. Although we're all looking at proposed gun bans and assault weapons bans and the like, uh, how burdensome the state can make those individual rights is, is a matter that's up in several cases right now in the district courts. Yeah. I consider it interesting that when they wrote the Second Amendment, they were very clear It said, shall not be infringed. Yeah. And that doesn't say anything in there, you know, except for regulation, except for taxes, except for interstate commerce. I don't see those exceptions in there anywhere.
3: Yeah. You know, they've argued in the past about um, about even who the people are in that deal, haven't they? They have. They have. At one
1: time, uh, they considered that the Second Amendment only applied to the militia. Yeah. That was in the Miller case. And the Miller case set precedent yeah.
2: through omission. Yeah. Uh, um, well read, uh, did didn't the, didn't the Miller case specify that they could only restrict arms that weren't um, usual and customary or in common usage or some such. Uh, basically, arms that were
1: useful to the militia
2: was what they and they not- judged, and, and what they judged was that a short-barreled shotgun in that case, was not um, common to the militia. Right. Okay. I just wanted to make that clear for everyone because most people aren't going to be clear with all of these cases.
1: Miller went to the Supreme Court, and there was no opposition to the case. Miller and his buddy were a couple of moonshiners, didn't have two nickels to rub together. The lawyer that initially handled the case did it for the customary two chickens and and a sack of potatoes or something like that. They didn't have any money to pay him. And when he was notified that it was going to the Supreme Court, he really didn't make much of an effort to find Miller. So when it got to the Supreme Court only, the federal government got to state their side of the case. And since Miller wasn't there, they entered a judgment against him. There was no
2: defense, and, and, and this relates back to what I was arguing initially. It's um, I, I feel as our our current system is deficient in defen- the in the defense of the rights of the people because the Supreme Court there is no recourse for the people beyond the Supreme Court. It's once the Supreme Court decides, whatever they decide is constitutional, um, even if their decisions are, uh, quite frankly, wrong. Well,
1: that's when we have to go into that nullification business at the local level. Even when we get good Judgments out of the Supreme Court It can take a long time And We get a lot of bad Judgments out of the Supreme Court You know a lot of folks talk uh, Oh the government's making these Camps they're going to put people in them And and whatever I don't know if they are or not But I know that we have In the past We did that Back in 1941, we locked up a couple of hundred thousand people here in America. Most of them good, God-fearing U.S. citizens. that just happened to have parents that were born in Japan. And we hauled them away and locked them up. And it didn't make it to the Supreme Court for three years. And well,
3: that's
1: legal. Hey, go ahead. And, <laughs> but yes. Process
2: at all? Yeah, they they did decide it was perfectly legal, and 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 that is abhorrent to the rights of the people. It's I I you know one of the things that while I thought I might have been on the air, well you know uh, I clearly wasn't, um, and I was talking about some of the some of the things that are going around right now with respect to um gun laws in, in the US. I I don't know if you've um if you've heard about the gun laws that were just proposed in California. Have you? I have. I have. And they they are staggering in in their scope and and their range. I mean if you have a, if if a gun has a magazine, it's pretty much illegal. Um they include rim fire rifles in in their ban of semi automatics they they include them specifically uh, <laughs> that that's going to make appleseed practically uh well, well difficult at the fatal piece that it would
1: you'd have a hard time uh doing that rapid fire stage single
2: loading. <laughs> well it, it, the interesting thing is is that they um it is still questionable if a bolt action twenty two with a ten round magazine is legal but that's like it, uh, it, it it's pretty obvious that you know um a semi auto um uh rim fire um, um uh, uh, two bed that can have over ten rounds. That's that's illegal by all acts by what they're proposing. Given given that California right now has a democratic supermajority in both the House, the Senate, and, and they have the uh, governorship, it's pretty likely that they're going to pass all of these laws. How many years is California going to not have their constitutional rights?
1: I think it'll go away forever, and I'll tell you why. Go ahead. When California started becoming exceedingly arrogant with taxpayer money, they started spending it on a multitude of things that the taxpayers have voted against. California has the power of referendum, and taxpayers can bring just about any issue up and put it on the ballot. And the courts in California keep denying the citizens' desires, and a lot of the intelligent people in California have decided that this far you go and no more, and they have packed up and left. We have quite an influx of them here in Mexico. Uh, They decided to come over here because we had uh, a lot fewer strange laws to obey, and significantly lower taxes to pay
2: and that's an well and, and as i understand they are degrading your laws because they're bringing over some of the things that they felt were less onerous
1: oh we're not worrying about that
2: my point is that a lot of <laughs>
1: california are voting with their feet
2: and, and and i i certainly agree it's just um from what I'm seeing, they're in, it's more like uh, an infection. They're infecting the states around them. I mean, they're they're dragging them down, such to the point that you know it, it's. Um, is it a good thing that they're voting with their feet and leaving, or is it just that they're degrading the rights of those citizens because they don't know any better? or that they grew up under such an onerous set of circumstances that, you know, they don't know any better. Well,
1: early on in New Mexico, we started detecting what was called the California disease here. They'd come here and want to make things just like they were back home. (laughs) And the people here... Went to a lot of trouble to educate these newfound immigrants, and I think we have pretty much
2: succeeded in that at everything well, but, on the board level. But, uh, I mean, the same thing happened in Colorado, and look at the laws that were just proposed there. Well, go ahead, sorry. Uh, Colorado has
1: always been relatively close to California in their. I'll call it liberalism. It's not, but uh, Colorado's always been kind of weak in that regard. They've had a lot of strange laws up there, and they've
2: repealed quite a few too. Right, uh, but it's um, especially in their recent laws. It doesn't seem to well reflect well well reflect the past of what. Has um, generally been true in the state. It's. It, um, I mean, I, I wish Magpul the best of luck, but you know, I, I you know I, I will find it interesting if they have to leave the state because of their their opinion of the legislature.
3: Well, you know
2: they're exercising
1: the greatest effect that they can have on changing legislation there is for them to pull a John Galt and just close up shop and go elsewhere. And I think you're going to see a lot of that in a lot of places. I think a lot of Californians are doing it and going elsewhere. And I think uh, if something like that comes into Colorado, they'll do the same and we here in new mexico will gleefully have them we have a share of idiocy here uh we recently had a couple of bills proposed and uh concerning universal background checks and the like and an assault weapons ban of our own was introduced and right now is being debated on the floor of the house as we speak uh We're hoping that uh, more brilliant minds will prevail because it's a general consensus of the people in New Mexico that when politicians know that a law won't work and they continue to press the issue, they're either pandering to idiots and fools or making a concerted effort to deny them of their rights. And even here... What a lot of people might consider the opposition, uh, members of the Democratic Party, tend to be gun-toting folks. And I don't think that those laws will be passed. And if they are, I think they will not be obeyed.
2: Yeah, you know, I, I find this really strange because um, many times in the past I've I've considered relocating to the West and, you know, New Mexico would certainly have certainly been one of those states. Colorado would have been one of those states. Uh, there are other states, you know, uh, as well that I, I've considered relocating to. The, you know, all of those I would have considered my gun rights to be safe. Um, here I am in the great state of Pennsylvania, and I, I right at this moment I am unconcerned about my gun rights. Strangely enough, um, even though, you know, Pennsylvania tends to vote blue, you know, for the Democrats, um, the PA House and Senate are both Republican-controlled, and the PA governorship is a Republican.
0: Uh,
2: I just find it weird that me in the Northeast, uh, that I'm okay while you guys are under threat. It is
1: a little bit... uh, It it does make you wonder what's going on sometimes. (laughs) Pennsylvania, that's where I started out in life, and it's where I got my initial education in power politics, I guess you'd call it. My dad was a ward healer for the Republican Party in Erie County, and that was interesting because Erie is a definitely democratic kind of place. That's where I learned about how power politics gets played. And when I say power politics, I'm talking bully politics and hauling off ballot boxes.
3: So, well, Pennsylvania
2: Pennsylvania certainly has a, a little bit of that heritage. Uh, I won't deny it. Um uh, I, I think that it has um, moderated over over the years, uh, and I'm thankful for that.
1: I am too. You familiar with a fellow named Simon Cameron? I am not, but uh, I'm sure you'll tell me all about him. He was a senator from Pennsylvania who opined in public on the floor of the House of uh, the Senate. That an honest politician is one who, once he is bought, stays bought.
3: Oh, joy!
2: And he. I might, have, I might have introduced him to the end of a revolver at the time. <laughs> but
1: if the people start paying attention to these things. Uh, literally, pull out a copy of that that Constitution, look through good old Article One, Section Eight. And start looking at what the government's supposed to do. Look at that Bill of Rights. It is so clear. Look at that First Amendment. Congress shall make no law. Is that clear? Or is that ambiguous? Yet,
2: <laughs> yet, yet, yet they feel that it is reasonable to regulate our speech over what they feel is extreme, extreme speech. I mean. You know, shouting fire in the theater. Make no law. Well, no, we're going to make a law against you shouting fire in the theater. Well, you're allowed to shout fire
1: in the theater, as long as you're willing to pay the consequences of it. Yes, exactly. And I feel kind of the same way about the Second Amendment. I think you should be able to have whatever you want. And I think... we're clear that we should be as well-armed as the military.
2: So I won
3: an
1: M1A1 Abrams tank. Woo! I have absolutely no problem with you owning one, as long as you behave yourself and don't use it on your neighbors or me. I Can I drive you. it down the highway? Even as long as you're willing to pay for the damaged bridges.
2: Oh, it's are talking to be... We should build the bridges to survive that. Come on! Well, we should, but.
1: <laughs> how much interest does the government have in roads? Think about what? that.
0: How Repeat much that. Sorry. does
1: it really have in roads?
2: Uh, how much do. Uh, I, I still didn't hear your whole question, sorry.
1: Well, how much interest does the government have in roads?
2: Well, I, I think they should all be private. You know, that's me personally. Um, I don't think the government should have any interest in roads, but at um, uh, the worst case, the locality should be interested in the roads. And, you know, um, I think that the roads should be built to survive, To you know, so that they don't need repairs for 50 or 60 years at least. Um, If they were to do that, it would save us, the taxpayers, a tremendous amount of money over time. So, uh, you know, that's me
1: personally. Do you think the federal government should have any jurisdiction over your state highways? No. Well, through the power of the purse, through the buying of votes from states, they have gained that
2: power. Well, but through through the power of the purse, the uh, federal government has gained power over all of our local police jurisdictions by granting them federal dollars to enforce their laws.
1: They
3: have.
2: Should, should, should we be happy about that?
1: We shouldn't. Uh, many people in my county are not. Uh a month ago, we took our county sheriff to task and uh, made an issue of it. And our county sheriff has failed to renew many agreements with the federal government concerning the enforcement of law. And we may build that fire under his feet just a little bit higher yet. Uh, I encourage people to go talk with their sheriff and see what agreement he's entered into.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I I wish, you know, in that respect, I wish that I were happier with my local sheriff, but, you know, living in the Northeast, even though Pennsylvania, um, at least as a state, is safe, you know, uh, localities are not. So. My my sheriff has not signed on for the whole I am the supreme law of this county and I shall protect you from unconstitutional amendments from from the uh, federal government, and he hasn't signed up for that yet. Well, if he does, do you
1: think it will be a good thing?
2: I do think it will be a good thing.
1: Let me ask you one question. Whose interpretation of the Constitution is he going to follow?
2: <laughs> now, I, I grant you that. That is a perfectly fair and valid question with regards to all of this. Because, I, I mean, if you ask any of the sheriffs that have so far proclaimed this, if they, well, are are you going to enforce the current federal drug laws? And 98% of the Americans say yes. But I will take it as a good thing that any sheriff would say that they're not going to enforce federal gun laws. It's a good start. It isn't an end point. It's a beginning. It
1: is a good start, and I think it's a good thing. What I see with a lot of this movement with the sheriffs is that they're saying we will follow the constitution they're not saying we won't follow we won't enforce federal gun law they're saying we'll follow the constitution and i'm beginning to have grave doubts about whose interpretation they're following
2: and 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 i i grant you entirely that point it it, it is what it is um, it, uh it, 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 it is a happy place for any of us Mm.
1: Those men in dresses up in Washington, oh, we have two ladies there now. Uh, <laughs> with laws like Wickard versus Philburn, with rulings like that, I wonder, and I make a point of using that case because of its clear and patent idiocy. Yeah to try to get people to read so that they will become more interested in the law. Somebody put on the... Well, you put on the board here, I didn't know you were a lawyer. I'm not.
2: You are very well versed. Um, You know, uh, as uh, one of my favorite authors would, um, you know, had a law enforcement officer proposed to a citizen, um, he, he asked the question, "Or are you a lawyer? And he said, um, his, his character said, uh, I have not yet passed the bar. I would suggest you answer it that way in the future. <laughs>
1: I have no intention of passing the bar.
2: <laughs> well, but like, that doesn't matter. <laughs> the, the, the answer in... I have not yet passed the bar is suggestive in its own course. Yeah. And and gives people pause. It's a I know the damn law, sir. <laughs> that that is the answer. And our law enforcement has to take that into account that shit. I might be dealing with someone who understands the law. Damn it. True. I don't know if you're
1: aware of a particular county sheriff or chief of police out in California who very foolishly got on TV and told people that his officers basically used their weapons not to defend themselves but to terrify and intimidate the citizens. I am aware of that.
2: And but I, I'm, <laughs> but I'm also aware of a sheriff in Wisconsin that suggested to his home citizens that they should go out and get their own guns to help out their county sheriffs, and that, 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 that they might only be you know minutes away when seconds count. That's true, and
1: I applaud his action, and that took some courage on his part. He's the sheriff uh, in the environs of Milwaukee.
0: He is.
1: Which is not known as a hotbed of conservative thought. And it is He's not. a Democrat himself <laughs> and was elected uh, as a Democratic candidate to his office. And he's taking his political career in his hands. But I praise him for it. He's being a truthful man.
2: He certainly is. And it, I, it, um, I, I will be contributing to his next election campaign, even though I am far away.
1: Well, I, I think that's uh, commendable of you. If I had a few extra bucks, I might send some to him myself.
2: Uh, we, we can all spare 20 bucks. Pretty much, we uh, were kind of blessed.
1: Uh, Sheriff Richard Mack moved into what many of us consider our local community here, about 20 miles up the road, and we're getting quite a bit of mileage out of him with local law enforcement. And We're hoping that his actions will possibly inspire ours to... Greater responsiveness to the citizenry.
2: How's that? Uh, l- let me ask you this question, Sheriff Mack. He was um, he was in Arizona, wasn't he? He
1: yeah. was. He was in Graham County, Arizona.
2: Okay. Um, how did he end up in uh, in New Mexico?
3: Did he retire?
1: I think he stopped running for election at one point and decided to quit being a politician. Uh, I don't know how he ended up here. I just know that he did. I know he became uh, he had a policeman in Utah.
2: Uh, it, it just strikes me as weird. I, I am just trying to contemplate on how uh, Sheriff Mack, because, I mean, he has national recognition at this point, and he was known for his um I'll I'll call them exploits even though um that is a not the word that I really mean but you know that he was in Arizona when it happened. So
0: Right. yeah, uh,
1: I I really don't have a clue how he got over here. You know, most folks uh think of him uh because of his involvement uh, over the Brady Bill, which was uh, very important and uh, commendable on his part. I think more important than that was his activity in dealing with uh, the Corps of Engineers. When his county was trying to replace a bridge, That the Corps of Engineers uh, were holding up the project because of... Uh, environmental concerns and meeting their engineering standards and such because any, as they call it, navigable waterway is under their jurisdiction. And he just told the Corps of Engineers, guys, we'll come on out and try and stop the project and I'll arrest you. Now, whether that was <laughs> lawful or not, and technically it's not,
2: uh <laughs> Of- uh, you, you know, uh, I, I'll be honest, um, <laughs> in, in in my entirety, the thing that I most remember about Sheriff Mack is the fact that he uh, dressed his county prisoners in pink. Oh, that wasn't Sheriff Mack. That's Joe Arpaio. Oh, good. Thank you. Because I was thinking that Sheriff Mac was the sheriff of, of Arpaio County, and uh, that 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 thank you, no, Sheriff. You, Arpa- you you've just fixed it for me because I was I was like I was always worried about Sheriff Mac because of 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 that, and now I'm solved. <laughs> <laughs> no, Sheriff Mac
1: and uh, Sheriff. Prince, I believe, from Montana, are best known for taking the uh, Brady Court, killing the nationwide waiting period, and having background checks conducted by local law enforcement. That's what he is most well known for. Anyway, we're blessed to have him here, and I hope that he can convince our sheriff to look at his interpretation of the Constitution.
2: And, and uh, I'm really glad that you uh, have uh, fixed my understanding because I, I had no idea that there was a name uh, that a sheriff was named Arpaio. Okay. <laughs> uh, that uh, wow. My mind is just blown.
1: Now Sheriff Arpaio is an interesting guy in his own right. And I don't always agree with everything that he does, but I applaud his independent spirit and lack of obligation to the federal government.
2: Uh, and and um, what I know of him, um, and, and now I, I'm you, you have to understand that I'm massively internally sorting what I try to know about the two of them and I'm going to have to go do a fair amount of research to speak um, well about the situation. But, you know, he, uh, most of what, I, what I've what i heard of Sheriff Arpaio was not negative. It's um, – anyway, you, you get the idea. Sure.
1: Uh, I'm going to go ahead and post it on the chat board right now. But if anybody would like to find out about Sheriff Mack and the way he operates and what he's trying to do with uh, law enforcement officers and and, uh, sheriffs and their deputies in the country, go to cspla.org, the Constitutional Sheriffs and Peace Officers Association, and that site outlines uh, his activity and has a little bit of a bio on him so that folks uh get an idea of where he's coming from and what he knows how to do and get away with let let's roll back to that constitution business again you know, we uh we don't put as much emphasis on that as we ought to, and I think it would behoove all of our citizens certainly all of our listeners to get their hands on a copy of the United States Federal Constitution and read that darn thing. Uh, You don't have to be a lawyer to understand it. I think you have to be a lawyer to mess it up, but (laughs) you don't have to be a lawyer to understand it. It's pretty clear cut. And if more people were to read it and become familiar with it, Uh, I think it would do us all a lot of good. Then we would know the kind of chance to those officials, too.
2: I'm going to mention this, um, because I think that um, if a widespread number of citizens um, understood the Constitution, it could lead to a lot more uh, turmoil in the short term. And the reason that I say that, the reason I say this is because, um, there is a lot of area for interpretation within the constitution, especially within our modern understanding of the constitution. And, uh, I, I think we end up in the right place over the long term, but, uh, just calling me concerned about the whole thing.
1: Sure. If people weren't concerned and interested about it, I'd be suspicious of you if you didn't care. Uh, I do think that people should should read it, and I'm willing to accept a small amount of unrest over it when to pay attention and exercise their rights and hold officials accountable. Uh, I think it's a small risk to pay to have the citizens get
2: well-informed. And and, and that I can agree with entirely. Um, An involved citizenry is better than all of the other objects of, of our environment. You know people
1: being upset with the federal government and how they operate and how the Constitution's been interpreted
0: uh
1: has happened all along. This is not a a new phenomena uh, I mean right into the first administration of George Washington, we had constitutional crises. to the prayer george Obliged to send it. We got a little disturbance on your end there, Ed Heller?
2: Yeah, sorry, it's done. Sorry.
1: Okay. It sounded like you're dragging a table around. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) You know, in my part of the. Something like that. (laughs)
2: You're familiar with the Whiskey Rebellion, I'm sure. Uh I am. In, in fact, it's uh I I live in the center of the Whiskey Whiskey Rebellion. You yeah, know, that's local history for you. It is. And uh <laughs> the I I'm still kind of unhappy about it. <laughs>
1: George Washington pulled Daniel Morgan out of retirement to go quell that disturbance.
2: Yeah, and I'm so I'm happy about that too.
1: <laughs> <laughs> contributions to the to the revolution, I'm much happier with say Lewis Wetzel or Samuel Brady, but <laughs> uh, yeah, he,
2: you're, you're like, not going to find much much happiness here with the whiskey rebellion. So, <laughs> I, I think that the 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 folks um, instigating the whiskey rebellion were right in their interpretation of the
3: Constitution,
2: um, and that the folks in Washington that decided otherwise, which were largely Alexander Hamilton, were wrong. Well, and, 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 and let 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 me um, let me make this plain and obvious for everyone who who might be listening. Um, after the fact, if I had a time machine, and if I could choose one place and time to go back in time, and to change one event in all of human history, I would go back to the Battle of Yorktown on the final day. I would go back with a modern battle rifle, and I would shoot Alexander Hamilton in the head on that day. <laughs> well, And I would be happy if I died immediately afterwards. I, uh,
1: so, I appreciate the sentiment, but I can't
2: condone act. <laughs> well, it, we would be better off without... Alexander Hamilton's involvement after that point in time. He was a monarchist. Um, he wanted to turn the United States into a, a, a constitutional monarchy. Uh, monarchy. Right. And that is well documented. Um, he, along with a couple of others, engineered the Constitutional Convention in such a way that nearly half of the people that were invited to the convention decided to leave. And then they passed it, and, you know, then there was the sales job of passing the Constitution. Anyway, I'm an anti-federalist. It's clear. I agree. Well, this is
1: America. You're allowed to be an anti-federalist. <laughs> Um, And And that's a good thing. (laughs) In any case, uh, our people, and I'm talking about all of you listeners out there, apple seeders and non-apple seeders alike, need to dig out a copy of the United States Constitution and read that darn thing. And I'll bet that a good portion of you are veterans took an oath to it and never read it and never do what it said which is kind of negligent on your part, but I have to forgive it because the first time I did, I didn't know what it said either. Went out and swore an oath to support something. I didn't even know what it said. I wouldn't do that now, uh, not knowing. But I love that Constitution. It's far from perfect, but it's the best game in town. And it's the one we have to play with it's not a bad basis to
2: work from. If we, <laughs> were... <laughs> and I'm going to say that you know, even though I at the time, if I were in existence when the the Constitution were being debated, at that time I might have been an anti-federalist. I might have been against the Constitution, but. The Constitution is a far better set of laws, a set of uh, basis for a set of laws than um, the vast majority of historical humanity, and thus, even though I would like to see us go beyond it, go be go go to the past, go to the you know uh confederation uh, the um uh, what is the word for that um i I'm just basing it right at the moment but to to the articles of confederation thank you to go back to the articles of confederation for our federal laws um, it would be better just to go back to the constitution. As a starting point, I mean, that is a basis for discussion. That is, it is not an unreasonable set of laws in and of itself. Anyway, go ahead.
3: Sorry.
1: No, I, uh, I understand your position. And, and, uh, I think that if people were willing to be more educated about their government, and more participative, uh, I could agree with you a hundred percent. And, uh, I think the best thing we can do is to get people more educated, more participative uh, at every level. People need to become more involved in their community, spend less time in front of that one-eyed mind-sucking machine run by NBC, and uh, get to know their neighbors, know what they're about, what's important to them get to know them, get to be friends with them, cooperate with them on things. Irrespective of uh, which of our political parties manages to prevail in all the stuff going on right now, there are perilous times ahead for this nation. We all know what a broken, uh, broken bank account looks like We all know what happens when you bounce checks, and we're in for some some perilous economic times, if nothing else. And groups of people who function together as a community can overcome a lot of those difficulties just by being cooperative with each other. And uh, it's vitally necessary that, that we learn to cooperate as a community. And we need to become a trust community. A trust community is one where we generally believe in the goodwill of our fellow men. Uh, As one of my favorite authors put it, it's one where you'll loan your lawnmower to the neighbor with a reasonable expectation of getting it back in functional order the next day. And because of that, you're willing to go out of your way to look out for him And he's generally willing to go out of his way to look out for you. Communities like that can weather bad storms, can weather ugliness. Don't work together, will not survive if we have a major economic calamity in the country, even a minor one. People have to work together.
2: Well, it is really unfortunate, though, that given the situation in our country today, we're not going to undergo minor economic calamity. I mean, it is a foregone conclusion that with the level of debt that we have and with the ability of our citizenry to pay, that we are going to face the situation where our debts vastly outstrip our ability to pay. Sam? Uh, Hello? Hello? I haven't been disconnected, have I? Sam, are you still there?
1: Yes, I'm still here. I'm sorry. Okay.
2: (laughs) (laughs) What's up? Did did you lose my statement there in the middle? Uh, I don't know what you heard now. I heard you. I, I guess maybe you didn't hear me. Uh, Hopefully, you heard me, and uh, I just didn't hear you. Go ahead. Uh, Did my part about trust communities come through? I heard that.
1: Okay. Did you Uh, hear my part? I did. I did. You know, if we can't get our communities functioning, uh, governments can't go bankrupt,
2: Ed. It's impossible. Uh, No, I I I, I'm going to mildly disagree with you there, in that governments can certainly go bankrupt, but um, what we are possibly disagreeing over is the fact um, is is a short term effect. Um, It is possible for a government to form. That repudiates all previous debt, but that does not mean that the government can go can cannot go bankrupt. How's that? Well, what they do is to devalue the currency to the point where they can pay it off.
3: Well, that is
2: that is certainly possible. In in that in in that route leads hyperinflation. And uh, I'm not going to discount that that hasn't been the choice of many governments
3: over the past hundred years. Well, uh, bottom
1: line is that, that there'll be money out there, but you won't be able to buy anything
2: with it. And, um, hey, you know, I have a hundred trillion dollar note from Zimbabwe, and it's it, off. Awesome. And you can pay off half the debt, right? No, it, at the time that it was issued, it was worth about six bucks. Yeah. Um. <laughs> It isn't worth anything today because the government of Zimbabwe has decided that they're not, they actually decided they're not issuing any currency. They declared that U.S. dollars and um, South African RAND notes are um, the legal currency in Zimbabwe. That's how they solved their hyperinflation is... Conceiving the currency locally to foreign nations. Well, that was a pretty smart
1: move on their part. They weren't an effective enough government to control the value of their
2: own currency. No, because the well, the reason why they lost control is because they just decided to print, print, print <laughs> as a solution. They had I played. Mean,
1: no one would take it even for toilet paper.
3: Oh,
2: (laughs) their own citizens were using the lower end notes for toilet paper. It's actually (laughs) documented. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) We can
1: very easily end up in that same position ourselves. We can't. And... It's going to require some serious attention from the citizens to prevent that. Yeah, I'm trying to get Bill Winkle to to call in, but he ain't doing it. Him and guest eighteen four six three won't call in and join the join the little show here. And we've all he, got he,
2: nothing left to i You know, I I, uh, I I typed in a message in the chat. Uh, Bill Winkle um he and I have met uh on a couple of occasions now uh he was at uh the uh the AIBC in Michigan in in 2011 and he was in the um no 2012 AIBC in 2012 of, of Michigan and the um the Michigan IBC that just happened here in in 20, 2013. Okay. And, um, where in Michigan is he from? You know, uh, I could show you, if I could show you the whole hand, because everybody in Michigan, you know, they hold up their hand and they point to where they are. Yep. And, um, and I can't describe you. Describe that to you, but I can remember where he pointed to. <laughs> and it, it's it's an awesome thing about Michigan. I mean, uh, that that is different and extraordinary. So it it, it really is awesome. So you know, I, I I'm not going to give away where where in the end uh, Bill is, but.
1: When I left the Democratic Republic of Pennsylvania, that's where I moved, was to Rochester, Michigan. I don't
2: even know where in Michigan Rochester is, so awesome. Well, you didn't miss nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, their IBC was in Lapeer.
1: Okay, well, that's about 15 miles away
2: well then, then then I know roughly wherever you were <laughs> you drove through there to get to Lapeer.
3: <laughs> okay
1: but, uh, I say, so scout's going to massacre me because we haven't kept on very much of a topic tonight
2: you know scout cause... he he'll be okay with all of this we've we've done i I think we've done good. With our general discussion.
1: Well, if we can get one or two people to go out and read their Constitution, and three or four of them to get to know their neighbors and learn to cooperate with them and like them, then we will have succeeded in something useful.
2: I will agree with
1: you wholeheartedly on all of that. Absolutely. Get out and know your neighbors, know your government, know what's going on, have a clue. You can get educated and smart on things without being a lawyer or a school teacher. Uh And,
2: Sam, I am massively impressed by your knowledge of the law, regardless of you're not passing the bar yet. Well, there's a
1: lot of attorneys out there that are not happy with it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can understand.
1: <laughs> I stopped Michigan working for a judge, a federal judge who uh, impressed me a lot. Uh, I probably should have stayed working for her. She got promoted and went to Cincinnati, Ohio, and I didn't want to hang around with no renegade briars, so I didn't go. Uh, Probably a bad mistake on my part. I went back into service instead. uh, The law is interesting. People need to know a little bit about it, enough to have a clue of what their rights are and what the business of government is so they can talk intelligently with those senators and congressmen. Yeah. if we can impress them that our opinion is just as important as them guys in dresses up in D.C., then that'll be a useful thing, too. We've got about four minutes left on the show. Let's see who we got here. Mark? Try and get Mark back online. You still there, Ed?
3: I'm still here. Okay. Go we got about four minutes left. Mark? You no, have I'm any... good. I'm good. Pick on somebody else there. I'm You're... just listening along here. And we've only got three minutes left.
1: Do you think we did anything useful tonight?
3: Well, Yeah, I think we did. Okay. Yeah, well, you know, it gets, it gets me. All them politicians get hired on to protect and uphold the Constitution of the United States and make like that Second Amendment, if they're arguing against it, where are they protecting or upholding that at? Yeah. Huh?
1: They're not. Not, no, not I a bit. Not a bit. I, I can't see where some of them people know how to read.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. And are very specific terms. And maybe we need to get a little more active with them and bring them lawyers and judges around our way of thinking.
3: Yeah, um, I believe there's a lot of that needs to be done. You
1: know, Ed mentioned FIJA a little bit earlier. If folks was to go to their website, and I think it's just F-I-J-A dot O-R-G, they can read a little bit and get a little bit smart there and talk with their neighbors about it and decide what they think the law ought to be in their county or their city, and quit dodging jury duty and go down there and show the judges what the law is because it's people. Nations aren't lines on a map. Nations are people. Government is people. The power of government is people. And people who work together and cooperate, they can do some pretty... Uh oh, the English lady says we got ninety seconds left to go. Y'all wanna sing a song on the way out? (laughs) I guess you don't trust your singing voice. (laughs) Okay. I'm gonna go ahead and put the music back in here to fade out here for the last one minute and seven seconds. I see folks for putting up with us tonight. Scott next to a little more back on topic, and I'll try to participate in some more in the future. Y'all have Thanks. a good
2: evening. Yo. Thanks for the great discussion. Have a great evening, and I will see you next week. And have a great weekend. At this shoot that you're about to have, why did you why did you spend the last sixty seconds? telling us all about the shoot that you're about to
1: have this weekend, cause
2: that is
1: awesome. <laughs> well, the shoot we're having is we're teaching a bunch of brand new ladies how to use a hand And that's a good thing in and of itself, because I'm tired of seeing them get stuck with the wrong ones because their boyfriend thinks the snubby's cute. Good night, folks. See you next Thursday night. We'll have a little more professionalism for next week's show. Have a good one. Good
0: night.